from Galatians 4, 4 and 5. It's a dramatic pause. There we go. When the set time had fully come, that's our big idea. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. So that's what we've been looking at, this whole idea of time. And we said there's two types of time. There's chronos and kairos. And chronos is watch time or calendar time. It's the time that we live in. And for many of us, we feel like we don't have enough of it. Or we feel like it's our master and our God. I was in a small group last week and several people were saying, I feel like someone's chasing me. And if I slow down, they're going to catch me and it's not going to be good. That idea of being driven and pressed and and, and uh, living harried and hurried. And we went all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2 before sin entered the world. And before sin got us all out of whack when it comes to living life and relating correctly. And just in terms of the time that God has given us. And we said time's not God. God's God. He created time. And time is a good gift that he's given to us. And we have enough. And last week we looked at the rhythm of life, and it's universal and it's timeless. It's for everyone, everywhere, uh, at any time. Rest, work, and relationship, and there's enough time for that. There's enough time for you to rest, to trust the Lord. There's enough time for you to not be productive. There's enough time for work, both the things that you do to make a living and doing the things that God has for you to do to make an impact for the kingdom. And there's enough time for relationship with him and with other people. And again, that rhythm is it's universal. For all people in all times and all places. But pace or tempo is very individual. Highly personalized. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise we wind up very quickly in the culture that we live in. Being driven by expectations or responsibilities or by our schedule. If we're not constantly submitting ourselves to the Lord and saying you've got to lead me in this. And I would encourage you just where we live busyness is a huge issue. It's a stronghold in our city. And one of the ways as God's people that we witness to people who don't yet know Jesus is by living differently from them. So it's not just that we're busy doing Christian things and they're busy doing not Christian things. We want to get to a spot where we're living life in a different way, where our lives are not characterized by busyness. Again, if Jesus is our model and he is never in a hurry, that should say something to us, not in a condemning way. But it should say something to us. And so one of the ways that we witness to people who don't yet know Jesus is by living in the rhythm that God has created and at the pace that the Holy Spirit is setting. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the message last week. If you weren't here, I do think it's important uh, for our city. So we're going to shift today from Kronos to Kairos. Kairos, as Mark said, it's, it's the right time. It's the opportune time. It has very little to do with the calendar. God doesn't wear a watch. And it's not because he always knows what time it is. It's because he doesn't care what time it is. Very rarely does God act based on it. I would say never, but I don't know. So I'm going to say very rarely does God act based on hours and days and months and years. God acts when the circumstances are are ripe for the acting. We saw that in Galatians 4, our key verse. At the right time. That's when Gabriel shows up to Mary and says, you're going to have a son. It has nothing to do with a calendar and everything to do with circumstances and hearts and, and the fact that there's a common language and it's Greek and there's a road system that the Romans have put in place and, and that there's peace in this empire and that Jews have been spread all over the known world. And so if you've got a message of a Jewish Messiah and you want to make sure everybody knows it, well, that's a pretty good time to send him. When everybody knows the same language and people can get from city to city. 
and people who have the Old Testament who've been looking forward to the Messiah are scattered all over the known world. It's a pretty good time to do that. It has nothing to do with the calendar and everything to do with circumstances. The tension for us is we live based on a calendar, and we always will. We're going to live based on our watches and based on our calendars. It's, 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 just, it's the water that we swim in. There's nothing we can do about that. So we're Kronos people, and we're trying to love and serve and follow and obey a Kairos God, and it can create some tension for us. And we've got to learn how to navigate that tension. The classic picture is from Second Peter 3, where this is what Peter says, God in Kronos, don't forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. That's not true for us ever. It's not true. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. That is how we understand slowness. Instead, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's not looking at the calendar. God's looking at hearts. It's two different ways of acting. We want to predict, when is Jesus going to come back? They've been doing that since, literally, you can go all the way back. There may be ones before, but recorded in 300 A.D., people were already making predictions about when Jesus would return. They've been doing it ever since, and they're not all kooks. Some of them are people who love Jesus, and they're trying to read the tea leaves and the signs and say, this is the day. They're... It's, it's like, it's not even close to right. It's like they're playing football using ping pong paddles. It's, it doesn't even, it's not even close to the same thing. Jesus says, I'll come back when the gospel's been preached to all nations. That's not time on a watch. That's not a month on a calendar. That's a circumstance. It has nothing to do with linear time the way we understand it but that's how we we live in that medium it's so hard for us to step out of it or to relate to a god who doesn't care about it who's looking at hearts and circumstances and saying is it the right time are things ripe so his slowness isn't the way we understand slowness he's not slow because it took him a few days or a few millennia to act he's waiting on circumstances to be aligned it's interesting that book was written in about 65, 66 A.D., just 30-something years after Jesus ascended into heaven. People were already getting impatient. This is what sets up that verse, chapter 4, or this thought in uh, verse 4, excuse me, what does it say? That was your cue? We there in the next slide? Are we frozen? I can flip there. There we go. Above all, you must understand... That in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, Jesus promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Some of you feel that way. Nothing's changing. Everything's gone on just like it's always gone on. This was written again just 30-something years after Jesus' ascension. We're 2,000 years past that now. Skeptics would say... Where's this, where's this work? Where's this justice? Where's this saving? Where's this healing? Where's this delivering that y'all are talking about? And everything is going on just like it always has gone on. And some of us, even those of us who are following Jesus personally would say, I, I, I kind of feel that too. Things are going on just like they've always gone on. I don't see, I don't see him making a difference. 
I know he's omnipotent. I know he can. And so my tension point is, then why won't he? It's not like it's hard for him. So why the delay? And again, it causes tension and frustration. Kronos people trying to love and serve a Kairos God. Past couple of weeks, I've been reading this. There's a link here up on the screen. You may want to grab it if you don't have anything that helps prepare your heart for Christmas. I've been reading this thing. It's a lectionary. Uh, I've never done that before. It has readings every day, and when you click on it, it takes you to the Bible Gateway site, and everything's nice and neat. You don't have to do any scrolling. It gives you a psalm, an Old Testament reading, and then a New Testament reading, back to back to back. And one thing I didn't recognize and didn't realize was uh, most of the, a lot of the Old Testament hopes and prophecies and expectations and a lot of that work around the Messiah coming, they were desperate. They were desperate people. Their circumstances were terrible. They served cruel kings or they were being oppressed by foreign uh, armies. There was no rain. There was no crops. Obviously, no modern medicine. So lots of issues with sickness and people dying early. They were in bad shape. And they were saying, God, you got to do something about this. I don't see any hope on the horizon. Nobody here can do anything about any of this. We need you to step in. There's a real desperation to see Jesus or to see the Messiah come, to see God act. In history, I didn't realize that. And then Habakkuk 1, that's up there. It's a book you've never read. He's one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And he starts his letter saying, God, how long? How long are we, are we going to call out and you're not going to respond? And again, some of you this morning, that's how you feel. You're in a desperate spot. And you're going, how long am I going to have to call out? How long am I going to ask? Do you even hear me when I call? Kronos people, Kairos God. There are a couple of people around Jesus' birth who had been waiting for a long time as well. And we'll see if they have anything to teach us. This is Luke 2, starting in verse 22. This is 40 days after Jesus' birth. When the time had come for purification rites, so that's 40 days after Jesus was born, required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two Jesus as the firstborn son saying, God, he's yours. That doesn't mean they leave him there. That was just a kind of a symbol. It goes all the way back to Exodus and the whole passing over of the firstborn um, Jews, and then the, the killing of the firstborn Egyptians. And so that's, that's redeeming your firstborn. That's what all of that is. Joseph and Mary were poor, and so their offering was, was birds. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It was revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Holy Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts When Joseph and Mary brought in Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you tiles in the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old 
She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. So normally you got married at 14. Her husband dies at 21 and then was a widow until the age of 84. So she's either been a widow for 63 years or, or the better reading is actually she'd been a widow for 84 years, which makes her 105. So she's ancient. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to Joseph and Mary and Simeon and Jesus, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So we have two people who've been waiting, Simeon and Anna, and they've both been waiting for Jesus. They just didn't know that it was Jesus that they were waiting for. Explicitly, we see Simeon was waiting for the, quote, consolation of Israel. There, he was waiting for Israel to be restored. That word consolation is encouraged. How do you encourage a nation? He was waiting for the encouragement of his nation or the building up and the strengthening of his people. They were oppressed by the Roman government, and he was waiting to see that fixed. He was waiting to see his people built up, restored to what they saw as their proper place as God's people, which is not under anybody else's thumb. Anna was speaking to anyone who was looking forward to. That phrase, looking forward to, is the exact same word as waiting for Simeon. It's the same word, just translated differently. She was waiting as well for the redemption of Jerusalem. Same idea as Simeon. They were both waiting on God to do something in their nation. You heard today from Malachi. That was the last book chronologically in the Old Testament. It had been 400 years between Malachi and the birth of Jesus. They were called the silent years or the dark years where God didn't speak authoritatively to his people. And in the midst of those centuries of silence, they're saying, God, you've got to do something. It's just getting worse. None of it is getting better. And we have Simeon and Anna waiting for God to move, to honor his word, to send his Messiah, a deliverer who would make everything right. Different. Simeon was waiting on a personal word, a personal promise that God had given to him. He was waiting on the fulfillment. Simeon's Bible was the Old Testament. If you go read the Old Testament, you're not going to find a verse that says Simeon's not going to die before Jesus comes. It's not in there. The Holy Spirit spoke that to him. Some of you are Simeon this morning. At some point, every one of you is going to be Simeon. God will speak something to your heart. It's just it's not in the Bible. It's in your heart, and it's just as true. God has said something to you. You're single, and you believe God said, I've got a spouse for you. You're married, and you're struggling with having children. You believe God said, this is in your future. You're going to have a family. It may have something to do with your job. It may have something to do with ministry, whether, again, formal or informal, some sense of calling. You know God's spoken a promise to you. You're Simeon. You're waiting on the fulfillment of that personal word. All of us are Anna. She doesn't have a specific promise given to her. She has the Old Testament, and it is full of expectation and promise and prophecy about the Messiah, about God's deliverance. And that's what she's swimming in day after day as she goes to the temple. And she's saying, we need this. God, you've got to do this stuff that you said you would do. Where is the child who's going to be born? Where's the wonderful counselor? Where's the mighty God? Where's the prince of peace? Where's the everlasting father? Where's the one upon whose shoulders the government would sit? I, we need him. These other guys are jokers. Where is he? And that's what she's praying. It's a general promise. It's a biblical promise to her. And we're all Anna. Bit of a side note. I don't want my life to be any harder than it is, for sure. I'm not, I'm not moving to Haiti. 
But one of the things about being upper middle class Marietta is we don't have that sense of desperation. When we think about Jesus' return and making everything right, we're like, eh, that'd be nice, but things aren't that bad for me. I'm, I'm on the right side of most things. I'm not oppressed. I'm not impoverished. Sickness absolutely touches every one of us, but even that is, is so, uh, so much different than it is for so many because of modern medicine. And again, I'm not saying give away any of those things, but it does dull our hearts a little bit. When we think about Jesus' return and wiping away every tear and righting every wrong, reversing every impact, every effect of the curse. When we think about Jesus doing away with all wickedness and all evil and all tyranny and all cruelty. Intellectually, we can say, yeah, that's great, but heart-wise, a lot of that doesn't touch us because we don't live under that. And Anna did, and so she's going daily and saying, we need, we, we need deliverance. In this area, it's this biblical promise. We're all in forward to and waiting for Jesus' return. And at some point, and for some of you, that point is today, we're all going to be Simeon. Personal promise from God. And we're saying, okay, when is this thing going to come to pass? A few things you can learn as you wait. Kronos people loving and serving and trying to connect with the Kairos God from Simeon. First thing we see is he keeps on living his life. He doesn't quit. He doesn't stop. There's no indication that he goes to the temple every day. Whatever Simeon did, he continued to do after this word from the Holy Spirit. There's a missionary uh, to South Africa in the 50s. His name was Jim Elliott. Famously said, wherever you are, be all there. It's a good word for us. If you feel like God has spoken something to you and said, I'm going to do this. Don't put your life in neutral. Certainly don't put your life in part. Much easier to steer a moving ship. So wherever you are, continue to be all there. Continue to live. Continue to obey. Continue to be faithful. Continue to engage. Don't pull out and pull back. Don't stop. And we have a tendency, I think, to do that. And, and the longer it goes uh, between promise and fulfillment, the more we are tempted to kind of call time out on life, at least in our hearts. Because hope deferred absolutely does make the heart sick. And it can be difficult to continue to press easy to think about it in terms of uh, a marriage you know and i'm just going to wait for whoever there's okay there's there's something to that but you want to continue to live your life you want to continue to engage with people you want to continue to again wherever you are be all there to fully engage in family and community even as you wait for god to bring you into that marital relationship second thing you see from simeon is he was sensitive to the holy spirit so on the day that Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple, Simeon is moved by the Holy Spirit to go there as well. Again, it doesn't seem to be part of his regular routine. It's out of the ordinary. There's a sensitivity in him to say, you know what, God's leading me to do something different today, and he goes. The temple itself is small. The temple complex is huge, like 35 acres, I think. Massive, 27 football fields, if you can imagine that, pushed together. I don't know how many people were there, but it was more than three. And there's hundreds or thousands of people there. And Simeon is able to find Joseph and Mary, who he doesn't know at all, and their baby in the midst of all of that. He's led by the Holy Spirit. It's important for us, these personal promises. Again, God moves and he shapes and he directs, and we want to be sensitive to how he's doing that in our life. Simeon is flexible with his expectations, so nobody's looking for a six-week-old baby. 
Nobody's thinking the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem is a six-week-old baby. They're thinking a warrior. They're thinking a king. Maybe Simeon's thinking he's going to see some massive battle and the Jewish people are going to win. That's the kind of thing he's thinking about. When he's thinking consolation of Israel, he's thinking of a man. He's thinking, again, of a king or a guy with a sword on a white horse or an, or an army, someone leading an army and Rome being overthrown. Those are the things that are in his mind. He's definitely not thinking a six-week-old baby. But there's a flexibility in his heart, again, to pick on people uh, looking towards marriage. It, have you, do you already have it all planned out? What he's going to say and what she's going to look like and how you're going to feel and, and the way the lighting is going to be. Like, is all of that already done? Or can God surprise you? Is there flexibility in how God answers that prayer? Is there flexibility in how God fulfills that promise for you? Some people, you think about that with provision. That's an easy one. God will supply all your needs, Philippians 4. And we have in our mind what that looks like. That looks like somebody putting a check in the mail to us. Or it looks like getting a bonus. Or it looks like getting a raise. Rarely does it look like cutting off our cable. No, that's not the way it works. That's not the way provision comes. We have in our mind expectations. This is what it looks like. And if God wants to fulfill a promise in a different way... We sometimes pout a little bit. It's not the way we wanted it. Simeon has flexibility. So you think about that. He says, now dismiss your servant. What he's saying is, I can go die now. He hasn't seen the consolation of Israel. He's seen a baby. He hasn't seen the fulfillment of anything. He's just seen a baby. But he has so much faith in God that he's willing to say, that's enough for me. Seeing the baby's enough. I'm good now. You've honored your word. Again, that flexibility in terms of expectation, what exactly it's going to look like. It can be hard for us, super important if we're going to be people who wait well and people who can recognize the work of God when he moves in our circumstances. Keep living your life. Absolutely be sensitive to the Spirit. Don't hold on to your expectations too tightly. Be loose with the how. Be loose with the specifics. Give him room. He always gives more than you can ask or imagine. That's who he is. When he works in your life, it's not going to, be, it's not going to disappoint you. He's, he doesn't do that. He exceeds expectations. If we could, and, and we need to release them because of that. Does that make sense? Okay, Anna. Everybody's Anna. We see in her devotion and persistence. And that, those things kind of make us cite a circle. Her devotion fuels her persistence, which supports her devotion, which fuels her persistence, which supports her devotion. You want both of those things. We don't know when she goes to the temple. It appears that she goes after she's widowed at 21. And she's there for at least 63, if not 84 years. And she's there all the time, fasting and praying and worshiping. That's deep devotion to the Lord and persistence in asking God to work and to move. If we're going to wait well, we've got, we need to cultivate both of those attributes or both of those characteristics, both of those qualities and practices as well. Only way I know to do that, it's time. I don't know any shortcuts. It's relational. Devotion, I think about worship, personal worship. Just per, for me, 
There's nothing that I've done in 29 years of being a Christian that's had more of an impact on my forming and shaping as a follower of Jesus than worshiping on my own. That's been the, the biggest key for me. And I would encourage you to begin to figure out what does that look like in your own life. If the only time you're engaging God in worship is here, even if you're here every Sunday, you're talking about 25 minutes a week. That's it's nothing. If you, can, if you think about worship as entering into the presence of God, how 25 minutes a week, that's not, there's 168 hours in a week. And you think about where you spend the rest of that time, it's, it, it doesn't add, it, it, it doesn't work. We have to figure out how to be in his presence more. And for me, worship is the key. More than reading the Bible even, more than journaling, more than listening to talks. Worshiping on my own. And some of you are going, I can't even, what is that, what am I singing in the shower? What, what do you want me to do? Talk to Bo, who's the guy playing the guitar here. He would love to help give you some handles and some handholds on what it looks like for you to worship on your own and to incorporate worship into your life. And I would, again, I would strongly encourage you. I'm a thinker. Many of you are thinkers. Worship moves beyond that and engages heart in a way that's life-giving and very important for us in terms of developing devotion. We can be committed to something a lot of times just with our mind. It's hard to be devoted to something that doesn't engage your heart and worship engage your heart, and it will it fuels that commitment. It takes it from being a duty and a discipline and, and just and dry and breathes life into it. So I want to encourage you around that. And then prayer. And, not, and I would say specifically the Lord's Prayer, and even more specifically than that, that first petition in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but don't pray that part. Pray your kingdom come, your will be done, and then fill in the blank, the, place, the places where you are. Your kingdom come, your will be done at Marietta High School, at Mount Perrin High School, at Hillgrove High School, as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done at Brassfield and Gory, as it is in heaven, at Resolute CPA, as it is in heaven. That tip-top poultry, as it is in heaven. You start praying that. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Hardage Farm, in Lee's Crossing, as it is in heaven. If you begin to pray that prayer, that's Anna. This is my conviction. I can't prove it. Simeon's promise, his personal promise to him, is fulfilled because Anna has been praying for 60 years or for 84 years. There's a scene in Revelation 5. We see the throne room of heaven. It is literally where history is being shaped. There's a scroll and no one can open it. And it is, the, it is history. It's the original history book. And nobody can open it. And the lamb comes and he's worthy to open it. And all around the throne are 24 elders. I don't know what they are. And each one of them is holding a bowl. And you know what's in the bowl? The prayers of the saints. Your prayers. Never forgotten, never ignored, never dismissed. Collected in heaven, residing in a bowl, in the very throne room of God where history is being shaped. Anna, this little old lady, we don't know anything about her at all, is shaping history. If God is a Kairos God and Kairos moments occur because hearts are ready, because circumstances are aligned, what more can we do than pray? That's how you want to people say, well, when is Jesus going to come back? When you pray him back, that's when he's coming back. When is this going to change? When you pray for that to change, 
God doesn't care what day it is or what month it is or what year it is. He cares if people are ready. Our circumstances aligned and his prayers do that. Don't be fatalistic. God's going to do what he's going to do. No, God's going to do what you ask him to do. So what are you asking him to do? Hear that as an invitation to shape history. So much better than running off a calendar. The God of history says, influence me. What do you want? What do you want to see? Most of us, we can't even conceive of what it would be like for God's kingdom to become and his will to be done in the places where we live and move and have our being the way it is in heaven. We don't have a, what does that even look like in a public high school or in a publicly traded company? We're in a neighborhood with people who are Christians and atheists and everything in between. What does that even begin to look like? Ask him. Begin to dream that. Begin to pray that. And pray it persistently, frequently. Anna, year after year, decade after decade. God, make us ready. Make us ready. Align the circumstances in our nation. Align the circumstances in our world. We need you to send a deliverer. Make us ready. And he does. And then Jesus comes. And it's still the same today. You have an opportunity. I'll say a responsibility, but don't hear that as a burden. To shape history. Just like Anna did. All of you are Anna. All of us are Anna. Devotion fuels persistence, supports devotion, fuels persistence, supports devotion. As you worship personally, God's going to capture your heart. You don't have to move to Haiti to say, Jesus, your kingdom come, because you'll get in touch with the heart of God. And as you begin to pray for for his kingdom to come and his will to be done in the places where you are, don't pray on earth too general. Don't even pray in Marietta, too general. Pray about the places where your feet hit the ground. God, I want to see your kingdom come in these places the way it is in heaven. And you need to expand my capacity to even dream what that may be. You'll find yourself shaping history. That's what I want you to do. There are gift tags underneath uh, the chairs if you're sitting on whatever this end and that end and that end. Grab those gift tags and pass them down. Grab one. Everybody needs one. And on that gift tag, what I want you to write down is, what are you waiting for? Some of you are waiting on a personal promise, the fulfillment of a personal promise. If that's the case, I want you to write an S and put it in parentheses for Simeon. You don't have to write your name on this at all. Write an S and put it in parentheses and then write what you're waiting for. I'm waiting on a husband. I'm waiting on a child. I'm waiting on breakthrough at work. Whatever that is. Whatever you feel like. If there's something God has spoken to you and you're waiting on the fulfillment of that, write that down. Everybody's Anna. And so for you, if you don't have something specific, I want you to write down what are you, what are you praying for? What are you waiting for in that more general sense? For what does it look like for his kingdom to come? And then pick. Pick your work. Pick your school. Pick your neighborhood. Whichever one of those places is closest to your heart, whichever one of those places is most burdening you now, I I want to see this in that location. For God's kingdom to come, it looks like this. 
and write that down. We pray here every Tuesday morning at 7. I know that's a wretched time for a lot of you. You're all welcome to come, 7 to 7.30. Nobody's going to put a spotlight on you, make you pray out loud. And we're going to be praying for these things for the next two weeks between now and Christmas. Christmas is two weeks away. And we're going to trust God to do something. For you Simeons, we're going to ask God to move in those very specific and personal promises that you're waiting. We want to see some things shift and move and for you to be encouraged, particularly if you're down about that. If Again, if, if your hope has been deferred and you're losing some steam, we're going to pray for God to reignite that in you. And these more general things, these Anna prayers, we're going to pray for those things too. We're going to pray for God's kingdom to come in whatever place you write down on that card. And we're going to pray that he use you and that he would work through you. We don't have to know your name. But that's what we're going to pray. And again, I invite any of you that want to pray, come on Tuesdays from 7 to 7.30. Just come for the next two weeks and see what you think as we intercede for these people. There's a, a verse, this in Isaiah 64. It's excellent. No ear, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. There's two ways to wait. One is bored and frustrated. The other is expectant. It's hard to maintain that expectancy. I want to encourage you this morning to re-up with the Lord. We're going to have these baskets here up in the front. Some of you just as a sign of faith, you need to come put your tag in here. Just coming forward as an expression of faith, you need to put your tag in here. Some of you, that's not important, and you can put your tags uh, in the baskets hanging on the wall as you leave. We'll have ministry teams here up in the front, and we'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on. But I would say particularly if you're Simeon this morning, please allow us to pray with you, and for sure we want everybody to drop a, drop a tag in one of these baskets. Bo, you can come back. I'll pray. And then Bo will dismiss us after this song. Holy Spirit, I do pray that you would move in our hearts. I pray that you would expand our capacity to believe the things that you want to do. God, I pray that you would stretch our hearts and our minds, that we would begin to comprehend not just how wide and high and long and, and, and deep is your love for us, but for the, your love is for those who don't yet know you and the, the extreme lengths that you go to to reach and how you want to use us in that process. God, when we think about our community and all of the places that are broken, it's hard to even fathom you working powerfully we know intellectually you can, but we, we say sometimes, just like the scoffers in Second Peter, things are going on like they've always gone on. We say with Habakkuk, God, how long do we have to ask? So God, would you renew faith? Would you renew hope in us today? I pray for the Simeons in our midst, God, that you would strengthen them. God, I pray that between now and Christmas in two short weeks, you would work powerfully in their lives. That even the act of faith of them coming forward and dropping a card in a basket, as small as that is, God, I pray that would ignite something in their heart. It would give you something to work with in their hearts, some faith, some level of trust. And God, I pray that you would do more than they can ask or imagine. That you would exceed every expectation that they have. God, I pray for all of us as Annas, 
that you would deepen our devotion and strengthen our commitment. That we would find ourselves being drawn by you into your presence on a regular basis. It would move past a discipline. It would move past a, something on a list, a, a duty that we have to do to a true delight in our heart to be with you. God, I pray that you would give us just a glimpse of how our prayers shape history. And that would encourage us to continue to persistently ask for your kingdom to come and your will to be done again. Would you give us the capacity to imagine and to believe and to dream of what that can begin to look like? And God, over the coming days and weeks and months and years, I pray that we would see shifts in schools and businesses and neighborhoods. God, I pray that the very atmosphere of this city would begin to change as you stir us to persistently pray for your kingdom to come. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand up.